He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy, the media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with longtime sports analyst Rick Buecher, as we discussed in depth the strained relationship between current athletes and the media and what makes him different. We also discussed Brian Grant entrusting him to co-write his book, Rebound, in which he chronicles his battle with Parkinson's disease. And we discussed if Damian Lillard should leave the Portland Trailblazers to get a championship. This was a great discussion. Hope you enjoy Rick Buecher, how you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you, Mr. Thomas? Um, I'm good. You know, I appreciate you coming on the show, the rematch at uh, basketballnews.com and Fly TV. Um, you know, I, I can give you a formal introduction. Um, it's been like 20 years in the game. I mean, but you ESPN and ESPN.com, you know, you were a writer with ESPN Magazine and a columnist with ESPN.com. Um, and you, you joined Fox. You've been with the Bleacher Report, you know, Sirius XM. You co-hosted a, uh, a weekly podcast with BJ Armstrong. I mean, you've done a lot, you know. Hey, we'd be here all day listening to all your accolades. Well, thank you. Uh, and, and thank you for limiting it to only 20 years. I've actually been around longer than that. But, you know, that makes me uh, appear a little bit younger than I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. And oh, no, anybody who thinks that I've packed all that into 20 years. But, oh, no, 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 no. It's been over 20 years. Um, it's definitely been over 20 years. So, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about. Um, you know, I saw that you co-wrote the book with Brian Grant mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Rebound. And I, I just interviewed him. Tremendous interview, if you didn't get a chance to see it. And um, I, I first wanted to ask you, how did you all connect? How, how did he entrust you with a book, um, you know, uh, talking about his Parkinson's and talking about his battle with Parkinson's and his, his you know, entire career uh, both on and off the court and such personal, how did he entrust Rick Buecher with that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, I, I, I sometimes think about it myself. I, I mean, truly honored that he did trust me. Uh, part of it is because we, um, we knew each other for a long time, even not necessarily directly, but indirectly. Uh, I had a great respect for him as a player uh, always kind of kept an eye out because we're both from 
uh, Southern Ohio. He's from Georgetown, Ohio. He went to Xavier. Mm -hmm. I'm born and raised in Cincinnati. And there aren't a whole lot of guys who come out of that part of the country, either the, either to play hoops in the NBA or to cover it, quite honestly. Um, mm -hmm. It's so... So there was always that that little bit of just geographical kinship, if you will, from the start. And uh, and then we had a couple of one uh, guy who's in the book, Brian Berger, who's a mutual friend, worked closely with with Brian and uh, Brian Berger and I have have worked together. And so we had a mutual friend and. Uh, ultimately, I mean, I, you know, we crossed paths in the NBA and, you know, talked here and there, but, uh, it was more just a general kind of mutual respect for each other. And then when it came to, um, his retirement and I knew that, I knew that he was dealing with Parkinson's before okay. he announced it. I knew that through Brian. Okay. And when it came to announcing it, I was still at ESPN at the time. And Brian Berger said to Brian Grant, you know, what would you think about doing it with Rick? And because of that kind of established trust, he, tried, he, he knew me better uh, than anybody else in the media. He, uh, he entrusted me with that. So I got ESPN to go up to his house in Portland and we sat down and, and did an interview on air. And then I wrote a piece after the fact about, about that on ESPN.com. And, mm. and I, I just, um, you know, that put my relationship with him on a different level. It wasn't like I just parachuted in and did the piece for ESPN. Like now I, I just, I felt so privileged that he would, trust me to make that announcement. And I think just physically being there, you know, he was so like, I could just tell like, this was a really, I don't want to say traumatic thing, but a, you know, a momentous thing for him to do right? and why he was doing it. Like he, because he want, and I didn't know how much he had been kind of hiding and denying mm -hmm. the idea that he had Parkinson's. Right kind of found that out through the process of, of doing the book. But, but I knew that this was a huge step for him. Mm -hmm. And so I just stayed in touch with him, you know, wanted to see how he progressed and wanted to be involved in any way that I could. And we talked a lot about, you know, possibly writing a book over the years. It took quite a, quite a bit of time before he got to that point. Cause I just did, I didn't want to do, and you've probably read them, you know, there's plenty of athlete books out there. Mm -hmm. Guys just want to do a biography. They want to tell their story, but they don't really want to tell their story. Right. Right. They want to tell like a specially angled, let yeah. me tell you all the things that I feel good about, but not all the good stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and look, I can appreciate that. Like, mm -hmm. but I, I just, from the beginning, I said, Brian, if we're going to do a book, that's going to be meaningful. You got to tell them everything. Right. And uh, and what the everything was really changed as I wrote the book. Mm. Um, you know, there was a lot of personal stuff that 
whether it was the pain that he felt and, you know, he's working with terminally ill kids and Mm -hmm. like having a game and leaving that with still ice bags wrapped around his knees to go see a kid. And, and then that kid, you know, ultimately dying and what that was like for him. And like all of that to me, um, you know, the, the pain that he had with his rotator, the separate uh, tearing his rotator cuff, you know, right before he signed that big contract with Portland, like there was, there were so many things that he, he was fighting on his own that people didn't really know were going on. To me, that was the, that was the essence of the book that he had all these things. He was fighting all these demons and then he, he came through that all. And I think in part Parkinson's, which, he looked at it as this incredible curse mm-hmm. ultimately inspired him to, to get past all of that and like to appreciate the life that he had, as opposed to feeling like, God, why did these, all these things hap- happen to me? And mm-hmm. so I just thought that that was a really valuable inspirational story. And, you know, that Brian was willing to tell, like take that leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's like any of us, you know, we start thinking, okay, what my mom, what's my mom going to think when she reads this. Right? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. 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 And that, that'll get us to self edit our story. I mean, when I, when I interviewed him, I told him, you know, I was really surprised that he opened up about certain things about his personal life, like, like with his wife yep. and with, you know, the reason why he got a divorce, because there was a large population, you know, of rumors that said that, you know, she left because he had Parkinson's. So there's a lot of the player community and myself was included that didn't know her from a can of paint, but heard that and then had a certain feeling towards her because we're like, wait, she left because he had Parkinson's? How terrible is that? And that was the rumor. But he said, no, he wanted to set that all straight. I was like, yeah, that was amazing because you didn't have to say that. Like you didn't have to put that in your book. And it was, that was amazing that he did. Well, and, and I, you know, honestly, I got to a point where I was writing the book and I said it to my wife. I go, you know what this is? And she's gotten to know Brian. He's He's been, you know, as we were working on the on the book, he came down um, and spent some time at the house. And mm-hmm. um, and so my family has, has got to know him. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what this really is? This is a love story. Mm-hmm. This is. Ultimately, when I look at his inspiration for wanting to tell everything about his life, right, it was to set the record straight with Gina. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I had the love of my life, and I mm-hmm. kicked it to the curb. Yep. And like, there's there's all kinds of things that went on on both sides. You know, any any relationship that's good, it takes two people, and any relationship mm-hmm. that breaks down, it takes two people, right? Mm-hmm. But but he wanted to come clean about like this is what really happened. I'm I'm the one ultimately who blew it, and right. and how that inspires him to this day, because like. After everything went south with Gina, I, you know, one of the most powerful things he said to me was, I've never cheated on anybody since. Mm. Like, you know, yeah. some people will have regrets, but they don't necessarily change their behavior. Right. 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 And 
you know, as a professional athlete with right. money in the bank, like the opportunity to mess around is mm -hmm. always there. Right. Yeah, but he, he didn't have to include any of that in this book. No, like, he no, did not. If none of that topic had to be included and it would have been, you know, nobody would have right. missed it right. because it would have been focused on Parkinson's and his playing days and, you know what I mean? All of those things. So Yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, so that's why I, again, like I'm so honored that he, because I was the one who said, look, you got to get, you got to get honest. If you're, if you're pulling punches here, right. ultimately, not only I think is the audience going to know, or there's the potential of leaving questions like, okay, well, what, what about this? What about that? Right. But I felt like he wasn't going to feel fully satisfied with the book because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be the story in, in, in whole. And the other thing is, is, that's the redeeming value of, of reading the book because I think everybody can relate. Right. right. We all, we, you know, we all make mistakes. We all screw mm -hmm. up. It's a matter of what do we do with that? And for him to like totally catalog all the mistakes that he made and how he made them and where he is now and how he, like how he brought his, I mean, again, like his, his honesty with his kids, mm -hmm. like, Look, you all are from different mothers. This right. is how it happened. Do you have any questions? Like, yeah. I, if if he doesn't do that, then the kids don't have the relationship that they have. Right. And to me, that's where you're really like, it's one thing to to say and do things in order to get the love from your kids, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that still has a self interest in it. When you do it in order for them to love each other. Right. Now you're doing something that is unconditional and doesn't bring you necessarily any reward except right. to see it. Right. 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 And to me, that's, that's really the, the, you know, the amazing part of what, what Brian, Brian did. And, and, the, and it's on, you always know this, like, like he was doing so, so many things mm -hmm. behind the scenes mm -hmm. that he didn't, necessarily want credit for right he wasn't right. look he wasn't seeking credit working with these kids mm -hmm. he just he felt like uh you know there but for the grace of god go i like right. what's the difference between me and and these and these kids you know one another thing that i was um you know surprised that he went into so much depth about was depression and you know it's depression is something that a lot of athletes kind of stay away from talking about. I mean, even now, you're you're just now starting to see a few athletes come out and say, you know, that they're struggling with depression. Um, you know, Kevin Love is is is, is one of them. DeRozan um, is one of them. But um, then you see other athletes; they talk about depression and they get immediate backlash. Yeah. Um, you see what Naomi Osaka is going through right now. Um, you know, it's it's. Were you surprised that he spent so much time being honest about his depression? It's a good question. I ultimately no, I'm I'm not surprised uh, because 
I feel like he got to a place where he recognized that depression was also a part of Parkinson's. And okay. so it kind of helped him under, uh, understand why he went down that rabbit hole. And I mean, to be honest with you, he was still battling it he, as we wrote the book. Right. Like there were times where I could not get a hold of him for weeks at a time. Mm. And I knew, like, I just knew mm-hmm. that he was, you know, he, he was, he was hiding out and he was depressed. And like Raphael Sadiq, who, who did the, the, the forward for the, for the book and, uh, and Brian Berger, like I knew people up in Portland, I'm in, I'm in the Bay area. So I wasn't there physically, but I would like call them and go, Hey, somebody needs to go check on BG. Yeah. And because I can't get a hold of him. And they were like, we can't get a hold of him either. Right. And so I, I think in some ways, because he and I had forged this place where we were talking about everything, like when he would disappear, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was able to say, hey, like this, we're worried. We're all worried about you when this happens mm-hmm. because He's also battled addiction. So when you don't hear about hear from somebody for a couple of weeks, you think right. he's going down that road. Right. And to be honest with you, at one point during the book, he did. Right. I mean, he essentially relapsed. Mm-hmm. And so we went on this whole journey together through the course of the book. I mean, I kind of joke about it mm-hmm. in that my first book I did with Yao Ming, a guy who doesn't speak English. Like, what the mm-hmm. hell am I doing? Like, what what can I can I set the bar higher in terms of telling somebody's story. And then the next one is with a guy who, you know, is battling with addiction and depression and, and memory loss as a result of Parkinson's like, you know, could I find somebody who can just tell me their story and we don't have to like have all these hurdles that we have to cross. It it makes it, it richer when you do it, when you're, when you are able to get to the story. Oh, definitely, but it's it, it's such a such a story that's inspirational for other people, and that's one of the things that I kept stressing when I interviewed him. I was like, "Do you know how inspirational this book is for everybody else that is battling anything?" That's yeah. not because you're. I was like, "You're Brian Grant, you yes. know, being yes. you're an NBA player for for you know um, a dozen years yes. and everything like." And he was like, "Yeah, like even during the interview." He was like, yeah, these are my tremors. I, I, I hope you don't, you know, I was like, it's fine. But he's yeah. still kind of self-conscious about yes. it. And yes. so I just kept saying like, you know, do you understand how inspiring the story is? It yes. really is an inspirational story. Well, and that's the thing too, is that like I, understanding that as he was telling his story, that he's still battling the not wanting to tell the story mm-hmm. and, and, kind of person pushing through that believing that it's going to help somebody else. Right. I'm doing this because I hope that this affliction is going to help somebody else. So mm-hmm. that, that was inspiring for me as, as we wrote the book as well. And you know that, so I'm, I'm glad that that comes through. And I know that every time somebody says that to him, he it's it's one more kind mm-hmm. of confirmation that i mm-hmm. i the book turned out to be what i hoped it would be definitely definitely so i got to ask you this 
I know I asked it a little bit in the beginning. Um, you know, it, it is a testament to you that he entrusted you with, with this book. And you used the word trust a lot when you was explaining. But the, the relationship between the media and athletes are sometimes a little bit complicated. Sure. Right? And, no um, you know, I remember we was, you know, this is going back a few years. I was doing a panel discussion with the Players Tribune uh, in New York. And I was on the panel discussion. There was uh, Jay Williams was on it. We was talking about this topic, about, about how can the media improve the relationship and the trust with athletes. You, do you remember that? That was um, a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. And um, a lot of times the media don't quite understand or they pretend to not understand <laughs> why certain athletes will have a apprehension, a negative feeling towards them or something like that. Yeah. And so the reason why I kept asking, how did he entrust you with this and how did you build this relationship? It's almost like you can teach other media people how to actually build a relationship, what that entire panel was about. How do you get athletes to trust you? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're talking about just from a, from a standpoint of covering them, yeah. not entrusting them with a book about their personal life. Right. Like now, right. So that's why I kept I keep asking, yeah. how were you able to really do that? And what advice would you give to other media people? So the first lesson, it's funny that this happened actually with the Portland Trailblazers. And this was before, before Brian got there. I remember I was, I had just started out. I was... Um, I mean, yeah, you could actually go back to the beginning of my career covering the NBA. I covered the Warriors for the San Jose Mercury News, and um, I came in a year before Chris Webber showed up. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody had a relationship. All the other beat writers had a relationship with Don Nelson, who was both the GM and the head coach. Like, he ruled with an iron fist. And if you yes. you had to get along with Nelly, yes. you basically had to write, cover the team the way Nelly – thought you should cover the team if you were going to get anything done. Well, I was the new kid on the block. And so I immediately, first of all, I'm competitive as hell. So I'm looking at that and going, well, they all have better relationships with now. I'm never going to get around that curve. Right. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to build my relationship through the players. Mm -hmm. And so when, when, when C web got drafted, there's two people that show that were at the airport when when he flew into Oakland, me and a real estate agent that the team had sent to, to, to drive him around to look for a place to live. Oh, interesting. And, um, and I knew immediately, like, something was different here because this was the first time that Nelly had a player that was a bit – wasn't coming in to become a star. He was already a star. Right. And, and, and that relationship was going to have to be different. And Nelly was not prepared for that. And he didn't, and when I found out afterward, like he didn't even want C Webb, like he was right. talked into it, um, right. drafting him. And so I just, I, I, I learned early on. So, and then, then I was in Portland for a game and I went up to talk to Buck Williams about something. Mm-hmm. I said, you got a second before the game. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I've, I've heard about you. You're cool. And I was like, oh, <laughs> the players talk. Of course, the players, the <laughs> players like they know, like, and so I was like, you know what? I need to respect that. And I need to treat everybody 
with the idea that if I burn somebody, if I, like that's going to get around. And my job as I saw it was not to be judge and jury, but my job was to help people understand why guys did what they did. Because ultimately I believe like nobody does something stupid or like it, it, there's always a reason. Like you may disagree with the reason that they did it and it, but there's always, there's always a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think who the player was. Carlos Rogers was okay. with the Warriors and he got kicked out of a game again in Portland. I don't know why all roads <laughs> lead to Portland. We were in Portland. Mm-hmm. End of the season, Warriors having one of their terrible seasons. He got kicked out of the game, and Bob Lanier was the was the coach. He was okay. the interim coach, and he told me afterward, like Carlos had gotten a call or something during the game that his dad or somebody in his family was at his house, like breaking furniture, going crazy, and I was like, like people just think Carlos is some off the rail. Dude, but I found out, you know, players may have great individual ability to do this one thing. It doesn't mean that they're not living human lives and don't have to deal with all this other stuff. In fact, it may even be amplified because you have a lot of money and you've risen to stardom and you don't know who to trust. And like guys' backgrounds, maybe, you know, they didn't they didn't have the the two family home and the two car garage and all that. So they're like the, like the challenge is there and fans by and large don't want to hear that. They look at players, they go, you get to, you play on TV, you make millions of dollars, you get to play basketball. Your life is sweet. And I just knew, but again, sort of guys allowing me to be a peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't the case at all. Like more, more money, more problems. And, right. and so I always wanted to like, tell that story, like tell guys stories, what like the challenges that they had. Um, Now I will say, you know, the difficulty that I find today Mm -hmm. is that, um, and I don't know whether it's because of social media. I don't know whether the media has been taken over by so many uh, members who like, you know, when I came in, Mm -hmm. you were a beat guy. And you had to like there was certain protocol with how you covered a team. You didn't want to get sideways with a team or with a locker room because it was going to be really hard to cover that that team or that like so. Right. And you were there every day. Well, now you don't have those longstanding relationships like people fly in, fly out. Some people are, you know, covering on TV. They're they're just. They're just putting stuff out there. It's not vetted. Like there, there's no, there's no, on, and I don't want to say protecting the relationship. I think honoring the relationship. And I always felt like, you know what? Even if I have to report on bad news, if I give you an opportunity to share your side of it, mm-hmm. and and I'm and I tell the truth to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. like you may not like that it was written or reported, but you'll, but it won't ruin the relationship. Like right. it, you won't never talk to me again because and especially if i got to show up the next day and i show up the next day and i say hey like like give you the opportunity to dude i had a problem like i thought you got this wrong or whatever and we can talk it out like 
knowing that I tried my best mm-hmm. to get it right and that I'll fix it if I if honestly I did get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't think that happens anymore. Well, a, a, a lot, a lot of, and, and I'll say this: even back then, I could even go to from my playing days. It didn't happen a lot then. So you are different, and you do have to recognize why you're different. And the reason why you have the connection with players is because you do things that other media people do not do. Um, a lot of times their allegiance is to the team. Their allegiance is to what the team. And and you know, the team sometimes wants to put out certain notions about certain players oh, yeah. and to oh, manipulate yeah. certain situations. That's what they do. That, that's it's, what they do. Not, here's the thing. Like, People are always looking at like, oh, these players are undisciplined. They do these crazy things. They got a lot of money. They just spent like if we pulled the curtain on the owners, right? They are right. they are just as whack, if not yeah. more. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and 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 the league is rife on every level with people who do like who 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 get inside the NBA bubble, right? And and they begin to think that life is different. Mm-hmm. And they can get away with stuff. I, look, media people do it. We, like everybody, you get inside that bubble and you think the rules don't apply to me. And yeah. then every once in a while, real life intrudes. You go, oh, like, yeah. and, the, and that's what the world sees. And so you look like an idiot. Right. Um, right. But also you, the, the part about losing the trust with the players. And that's something that you've always valued. So even, so you see, even going back, because you mentioned Golden State, and you mentioned uh, Chris Webber. You had a good relationship with Chris Webber. Chris yes. Webber. Everybody yeah. knows that. You yeah. know, the players, yeah. we know that. We have heard that you've had a good relationship with yep. them. How did you cultivate that relationship? Like, how did that, how did that work? Because, because I want different media people to look at this and, and see you talking about this and yeah. understand how it works. We had a yeah. whole panel discussion on this topic, and the media people that were in the audience, if you remember, they were clueless. Yeah. They had yeah. No idea. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't really hard to do. You just treat them like they're human beings and yeah. everything. But this is everything that you're saying. But how did you cultivate that relationship with Chris Webb? So this is the tricky part too, as I get into this, mm-hmm. because I'll I as a media member, I have a job to do, mm-hmm. which is to cover the team. Mm-hmm. So the idea of becoming friends. It's, it's not that. You want to have a relationship. You want to have an honest relationship, a fair relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, well, how it started was, like, I knew the dynamics between Nelly and C-Webb were, were going to be difficult. Okay. And especially when I heard that that Nelly wanted C-Webb to play center. Mm-hmm. And C-Webb wanted to be the next Charles Barkley. Mm-hmm. If you remember at the time, like the center position was dominated by big, accomplished, I mean, Shaq, Akeem, Patrick Ewing. Like, and Webb's coming in at 6'9", 250, and he's like, I, I'm – supposed to be rookie of the year if i'm playing center right i'm gonna i could get a like embarrassed right on a nightly basis right i want to play power forward and so the first when 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 he was the night he was drafted mm-hmm. nelly said he's gonna be like he's gonna play center 
And we got C Webb on the speakerphone at the draft and to interview him. And I said, I asked him, I said, Nelly says you're going to play center. How do you feel about that? And there was this like four second pause. And I went, Oh my God, they never even told him that was the plan. Like this is a 19 year old kid coming out of the fab five. Mm -hmm. And you haven't even had this conversation. And I'm the one in the media who's breaking it to him that he's going to be playing the position. He doesn't want to play. Right. Like this is not good. (laughs) So two weeks, two weeks into the season, Mm-hmm. And again, this is where it's difficult to do what I was able to do then, because I was able to do the same thing with with Kobe. Right. Um, is sit down and have like a one on one conversation with the notebook closed and the tape recorder off and just ask questions. And so I sat down with him uh, two weeks into the into the season and I said, like, how's it? how's it going? Like playing center. And, and he says, if I don't, if I'm not able to get protection from ownership from, from Nelly, mm-hmm. I'm out of here at the end of the year, but you can't uh, like, you can't say that you can't write, you can't report that. You can't, you can't, you can't do anything with that. And I'm like, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. The, the 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 team just mortgaged its future to get you. <laughs> right. You have a one year out on your contract. Yeah. You're saying you you're you're leaving at the end of the year, and I can't do anything with it. Like, wow. <laughs> thank you for putting that on my head. Wow. And so, um, I said okay, and I and I actually like when I very beginning of my career I crossed paths with a baseball writer. Mm-hmm. who um, I'd heard the story, Sandy Sandy Koufax told him, I think it was Sandy Koufax, told him at the beginning of the year, I'm retiring at the end of the year. Okay. Um, and I'll let you write the story first, but you can't say anything like for the, for the entire year. So he carried it that entire year. So I knew, like, I was like, okay, it can be done. Right. Um, but the distinction was like Sandy was going out and there wasn't any controversy. There wasn't any conflict. I knew there was conflict with Nelly and C Webb. Right. And so I went back to 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 Webb and I said, I won't do anything with it unless it becomes evident that there is a problem. Okay. And then like if it becomes public that there is an issue between the two of you, then we we have to have another conversation. Okay. And so in the meantime, like, so then there's a game in Charlotte. Webb tries to go behind his back on a fast break, turnover. Nelly pulls him. They bark at each other. Webb sits the last couple minutes of the game, which is like he's being punished. Like if you're trying to win the game, you're not sitting him. You, you deal with it later. And so that was where, and everybody was like, oh, like, Oh, there's an issue. There might be an issue here. And I was like, damn right. There's an issue here. (laughs) Um, And so then I, I talked to a bunch of other players on the team about Uh some of the stuff that I'd been hearing that had happened in practice between the two of them. Okay. And 
And ultimately, like, I had this story of why it came to this blow up. Because that was just the last straw there. And (laughs) so this is a much longer story than you ever expected. But that's okay. (laughs) um, So I, I and I went to I went to Nellie. I said, I know you said because Nellie was saying there's no problem between me and and Webb. Okay. I went to Nellie. I said, look, I got I know I've asked you this before, but I got to ask you, you know, one more time. You know, are there issues? Are there issues between you and and Webb? And he was like, we were in Chicago. He was dismissive. And he was like, no, you know, there's no, there's no problems. Like, I don't even know why you're asking that question. I was like, okay. Cause I had this whole story. Like right. I had everything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the other beat writers, um, because we were going from Chicago to Cleveland, they spent the extra night in Chicago and were flying to Cleveland the next morning, day of game, get mm-hmm. the time for shoot around. I'm new on the beat. I'm like, no, I got to be around the team like all the time. If they're going to be in Cleveland, I got to be in Cleveland. So I flew that evening, afternoon, whatever, after practice in Chicago, snowstorm hits. (laughs) None of the other beat writers can get out. And I and my story hits about the problems between Webb and Nellie. And now Mm -hmm. I'm not quoting Webb. But and I had like all kinds of other players confirming mm-hmm. all of it, so it really didn't need to. Mm-hmm. But I have a, essentially a source story that like pulls the curtain on everything that's going on and the possibility that he could leave at the end of the year. Okay. And I'm the only one. I'm the only. I'm the lone beat writer to meet with Nelly before the game in Cleveland. Okay. And. We, he does his pregame and I really don't have anything to ask him, mm-hmm. right? I'm just, but I'm, again, you got to show up. Somebody wants to say something to you. You got to show your face. Let them know you're there. Mm-hmm. You got an issue with me. Let's hash it out. And this is after the story had come out. This sto- the story had hit in the morning. Okay, cool. All right. And so he knows, everybody knows. Yeah. I walk out to the court and the team's warming up and Judd okay. Bushler sees me and goes, I'm not standing too close to you. There might be snipers in here. <laughs> and um, so I sit down on the bench to watch guys warm up. Uh-huh. And I don't really, I don't even know what to do with myself. I mean, this, the story's blowing up, right? Right. And I'm sitting there and Nelly comes out and sits next to me. And he says, uh, I just want you to know, I think you're a piece of bleep. I think your newspaper is a piece of bleep. Uh, don't ever call me again. Don't e- like, you know, basically you're dead to me. Right. Wow. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, Nelly's a big dude. He's a big yeah. personality. And he right. like, and that was, that was kind of my, you know, my baptism in covering the league where you're going to, you're going to do a story. You're going to do a big story like that. You know, not everybody's, not everybody's going to love it, but like I, I, and I went back over and over and over. I was like, you know what? I, I didn't do anything wrong. I right. gave him the opportunity to tell his side of it. And he did. Um, and, but I like, 
And what I didn't know and what I've since learned is that there were like everybody was watching me and they watched me show up and they watched me ask questions and they, they watched me walk through that. Okay. And I had guys tell me after the fact how much they respected that. Um, mm. And so, you know, there's part of it. Like I just knew people are always watching. People are always paying attention. Now, now how did C Webb react? So, well, this is where, this is where I have a little bit of a problem with Webb. Okay. Because Webb denied that he knew anything about it. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, okay, you hung me out to dry. Okay. Like, because now for the entire year, like, I knew how it was going to end. I knew he was like, but now for the entire season, it's my word against Nelly's. And, and, and so I, like, I had, I, I started, I had, I didn't know why, because I was a young dude, like, I was having tremendous back issues as the season progressed. When I found out it was the stress. Yeah, it was stress. I was carrying, I was carrying the stress because I because after the season, I went I went to Hawaii and I was walking down the beach with my surfboard, and I realized that, you know what, like two percent of the world even gives a rat's ass about Nelly or Sea Web or this story or like, yeah, you know it. And next day, like back issues gone, everything like, and, and it was a great lesson again, like to keep things in context. Now, the reason this is, this is what's difficult on a couple levels when it comes to, and, and again, you know, the, I think in some ways the issue has gone the other way with the media. Okay. It's either you have people taking shots from afar that don't have to be held accountable and right. that don't vet their work, mm-hmm. like don't want to, go like if i if i check this out either one it might not be accurate or two i might get beat and not be the first one out there so let me just throw it out there and then if i have to correct after the fact i will i mean that that creates problems and and a lack of trust of course but then the flip side is guys are now like they're creating relationships where they're creating relationships with agents and players where they're kowtowing to what they want, how they want it told. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so that they get it first, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily accurate or like you're not serving both sides. That's, that's the great challenge is as a media guy to be fair to both sides and, 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 and the difficulty is that that enough guys are either not like they're just taking shots from afar mm-hmm. or they're in bed with whoever they're covering. And so that hurts all of us in the media. That hurts anybody who's trying to do it in a fair and reputable way because now as an agent or a player – well, I can just forum shop. Oh, you're not going to tell the story the way I want it told. Well, I'll I'll find a reporter who will. And anybody who, you know, you don't necessarily need to be with a big outlet to get the story out there, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's- I so there there's, and I'm you know I mean there's there's still people that are they're doing it to the best of their ability and and it's not it's not everybody it's not just one camp or the other. There's still some really good people out there that are that are walking the line, but it has, 
it has become like we've, and we've done it to ourselves. The media have done it to ourselves. Like we've poisoned the water because we are no longer held accountable. And here's the big difference a ton is that like when I came up, um, I had an editor who would say, I, you know, I had a copy editor and then I had the big chief editor and like anything that I reported, I would have to tell them first, right. this is what I've got. And they'd say, well, where did you get it? And, and, and have you, did you get it from two different places, two independent different places? Mm-hmm. And how solid is it? And because it was newspapers as opposed to online, you had like, you had time to vet it. Now everybody wants to like, I could get beat, you know, somebody else could have the story first. And so now we're hedging bets and there's no oversight. Right. Somebody hears something, they somebody gets something, they're tweeting it out right away. But that, but that, that's, that's, I think that's part of the problem right now is that when people do that, especially if they go, you know, say they're thinking on the, on the fly, they're on a show on, on ESPN, on FS1 or something like that. And they're talking and yeah. they just repeat something that they heard or yes. they say anonymous source told yes. them this. Yes. And sometimes the anonymous source is incorrect. Yeah. Or or they're or even worse, they have an agenda. Or they have an agenda. Right. So, so so now if and this is something that's happened a little bit more now with social media, because guys have their own social media that they can go to and say, hey, what that reporter just said is not true. Yes. And guys are doing that more. Yes. You know, so when, so when I was playing, you know, we, we didn't have social media. You know, so if you wanted to, you know, respond to a reporter, like right. I remember I would write an article in the Washington Post if, an, if a reporter said something, but nobody wants to do all of that. I was just writing. So that's just what I did here in D.C. Right. But but for the most part, the reaction of the media, a lot of people in the media, I don't want to say everyone, but a right. lot of people in the media, the reaction when they do get called out um, is almost to take offense that the player call had the audacity to call them out, not that what they said was true. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. that's that hurts that trust, doesn't it? That hurts oh. that relationship. That hurt how is that player ever gonna, you know what I mean? Um trust this reporter to do anything with them moving forward. It's well, it's the whole I mean, think about what we're talking about. Like all of it is I'm going to put something, you know, the reporter is going to put something out in the, in, in the media. I was going to say something on TV. Right. And then the player is going to respond on social media. That's what and, they want. They want the response, right? What's that? They want the response almost. Not, not, not the report of the network. Okay. Let me just say ESPN. They want that back and forth because that drums up ratings and that drums up that this is my opinion. You can tell me if I'm wrong at any point. But they want that. They want to play. They want, and when Skip Bates was on there and always talking about LeBron, they were like, please, LeBron, please respond to him. You know what I mean? When, when Stephen A. Smith was talking about, um, you know, all the time with Kawhi Leonard, they are like, please, Kawhi, come on, respond. But he, they never did. But I think no, no, they no. want them to respond so it could be a back and forth to drum up ratings. Do you agree yeah. with that or am, am I off base? You're a thousand percent correct. Okay. Because – if a player recognizes an individual, mm-hmm. and this is kind of, this is the tricky part too. And this goes with social media in general. Like you're inviting that person up onto your platform mm-hmm. and you basically are validating them in some yeah. way. Yes. I mean, 
you know, Stephen A and Ke- Kevin Durant helped make Stephen A. Because he responded. Because he responded. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, oh, he's on that. And, and, you know, Stephen A, like, dog, don't come at my neck. Like, all right. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm old school. Like, shut up. Shut, shut up. Like, right. what, what is that? Right? That, that, that's, that is so fake, tough guy. Like, what? Like, I mean, that is so far removed from yeah. what I think of, even if you're a pundit on TV. And this is, again, this is kind of where I've evolved, you know, yeah. because um, as a I'm I'm on TV more giving analysis and opinion mm-hmm. than I am out there. And one of the reasons why I'm hoping to have something done where I'm I'm gonna get back to writing on a regular basis mm-hmm. um is because I I do want to be out there and I do want to have those in-person interactions. Cause that's mm-hmm. ultimately like the whole thing playing out, I'm going to say something on TV and then the player's going to come back and he's going to say something on social media. Like we're not, we're not creating anything here. Like that, that only keeps us farther apart. And I still believe that, and I've always believed this, that the, the, the athletes, the players and the media um, need or, maybe not need, but certainly should be helping each other mm-hmm. in that because the, the league and the teams still to this day and forever, even with the, as much player empowerment as we have, mm-hmm. they still have all the control. Mm-hmm. They still have the greatest ability to influence how the story is told, how mm-hmm. players' stories are told. There are exceptions. That's changing with social media, though. So guys can control their own narratives a little bit better with social media than, say, my generation was when we played. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But there's still a difference between a player telling his story and a third person telling the story. Because there's there's a validation that this is – like there's always going to be that question – Okay, is the player telling his story? Is he shaping it? Just like we talked about the biographies, the player biographies, right? Is he really telling the whole story? Okay, that's fair. Well, when someone is, if you if you have that third person, if you have somebody, you know, mm-hmm. a media outlet who's saying this is the story, mm-hmm. it kind of gives it a a, a built in integrity and, and and validation that the player can't quite reach. It's like mm-hmm. you know, people look at at the Last Dance. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it was tremendous. And it, it reminded great. everyone who has made comparisons between LeBron and Michael Jordan. It's like, oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. Like, yeah. I think the vast majority of them never saw Michael Jordan play. If you were around him on a daily basis, the way I was, and you were around LeBron and no offense to LeBron. I mean, I don't, right. I, I don't, this always becomes like taking right, away right, right. one or the other. It's just like, those guys are not even – they're just different. They're completely different players. Michael Jordan was a killer every single day of every single minute. When I see – like I'm at a shoot-around and 
Scott Burrell said something that bothered Michael Jordan, and now he's going to take him down to the other end after shoot around and play one on one and kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, it's like just that's just a different cat, and that was him all the time. Do, do you think a better comparison would be MJ and Kobe, and then oh yeah, uh, and then sure. LeBron and Magic? Yes, I think yes. that's the better yes. comparison. Yes, this is my opinion. Yes, but, no, yeah. and no but question. Continue, sorry, no question. <laughs> so, um. I don't know where would <laughs> where did I start? Well, we, we, we was talking about a lot, but we was talking about where where um, how Jordan is with with his um, competitiveness. Oh yes, no, no, and with the last dance. And with the so, last dance. So one of the one of the elements that I've heard people who don't fully buy into it, okay, is well, Jordan was one of the co-producers. Like okay. jo- Jordan had a certain amount of editorial control right. over the last dance. So there are people that look at it and say, well, this was kind of an infomercial for Jordan. Jordan got Jordan got pissed that LeBron, when, when he came back from, from the 3-1 down, and now people are, oh, well, he could be the greatest ever. Like mm-hmm. that's when Jordan said, okay, let's do the doc. Let's do the last dance. Let's do the whole documentary. Mm-hmm. And so it just – it undercuts – it undercuts the story just a little bit because they feel like there's a vested interest in Jordan to tell the story a certain way. I'll agree with that. But then you see somebody like Jermaine O'Neal when he produced the Malice at the Palace and he used everybody's perspective. He interviewed fans. And I was like, I did not think he was going to interview Charlie Haddad, the dude that, you know, came onto the court, but he interviewed him. And then he wanted to interview um, the guy who threw the cup. I forgot his name, John, I think it is. He wanted to interview them and he showed the police and he showed all different. So I think if done correctly, then you could, but if done with a slant, then you're, you know, it's agreed as anything. Agreed. Else, right? No, agreed. Agreed. And, and again, like uh, to me, you know, what Germano did, did was, um, is a lesson to how the media should do it. I agree. Right? Is, is, is give everybody an opportunity, but, but again, but they don't always do that though. So that's no, and, 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 so going and this back is, to, Going back to you and how you forged this relationship with with Brian Grant, with Chris Weber, where even though you did, you know, um, you'll tell it and he denied it, everything like that, y'all still had a good relationship, yeah. you know, which was the you know set around the league. You want to give other people the opportunity. So even in your writings, it's not like you're going to. So a lot of times, what a lot of reporters do is they they hear a story. And they run with the story without ever getting the other person's perspective to include in the original story so that you don't have to go back and correct something, which most reporters don't do anyway. Yes. Well, and that, so that's why for me, Mm -hmm. like I, I being a beat writer is the most thankless thing now. And and again, this is where I have a little bit of sympathy, uh, not a little, a lot of sympathy Mm -hmm. for beat writers because they no longer have the same juice. Like it used to be like as, as a beat writer, the flip side was you had to like, you need to, to, to respect your relationships with the team that you covered and everybody involved in the organization. But you also were a powerful voice because you were the person who covered them on a regular basis. You were the, you were the go-to like, you wrote the game stories and there was one place, generally one place. Now there's so much aggregation and there's so many people in the media that are covering teams locally through blogs and all kinds of different, 
you know, uh, uh, mediums that the beat writer doesn't have the same, quite the same standing as, as they once did. But, and they're dealing with a bunch of people who may tweet out something at any given time where their editor is going to go, how come you didn't have that? Or what is this? Or you got to chase this down. And so you're always in fear. Someone's going to put something out there before you did. And you're supposed to be the beat writer. You're supposed to like, you're the one who's supposed to be breaking stuff, right? But, but that's where it changes to TMZ um, and no longer, you know, the, the integrity yes. of a beat writer to make sure that they get it yes. correct yes. before just being first. 100%. And, and so the problem is that the outlets are not protecting their medium. Like, they're not protecting their beat writers. They're not protecting the writers because – you need to be able to say, don't worry about getting it first. Get it right. Okay. And there aren't enough outlets that are taking that approach. Okay. They want it to be first. Okay. And including the, the biggest outlets. Right. It's honestly, it's what I love about working for Fox. And again, we're not a broadcast partner with the NBA. Mm-hmm. But Fox's approach is not like and, – and I think they've seen through it. Like – I mean, I, I see reporters who are getting, you know, hired and paid to tweet stuff out. I'm like, mm-hmm. how's that helping the outlet? Like, I'm not going to read his stuff at a particular place. I'm not even going to watch his videos. Like, I'm getting everything I need from the tweet, right? Yeah, but but would you say that if they do tweet out things, so say you tweet out something about a criticism, and there's nothing wrong with being critical. You're, you're critical of different, you know, players at one time and things like that. But then when you, um, not you personally, when a media person makes something personal, it's almost like they're trying to poke the bear, like trying oh, yeah. to get the player to respond. And then if the player does respond, it's like everybody's happy. Case in yeah. point. Um, yeah. after, after the, after the. Um, well, you know, you know how much Stephen A makes, right? Oh yeah, I know. I know. Like, yeah. so everybody is like. Yes. Oh, well, we'll do that. that's how yeah. it's done. Like, and, and, but it's rewarded. And that's the problem. I, I know. <laughs> I, trust me. Trust me. I know that, that, that's one of those things where I was like, that's not why I came in. I came into the business to tell the story that if I didn't tell it, you wouldn't know about it. And, you know, whether it was, and this goes back to like telling the story of Jalen Rose with his dad, with his, his, his troubled relationship with his dad or his dad not being in his life. Right. And, and I literally, I sat down with Jalen and I said, look, I know people have covered this before, but I want this to be like, I want to find a way to tell this story in a meaningful way. Mm. And he partnered with me on it. And what I found was he was at the time he was, uh, uh, he was living with a woman who had a son from a previous relationship. And Jalen realized rather than chasing, trying to get a relationship with my dad, I'm going to forge a relationship with this kid because I can't control whether my dad's going to be involved in my life, but I can control whether I'm going to be involved in this kid's life. Mm. And that's going to fill the hole for me. Not by being the son, but by being the dad to a son who doesn't have a dad, right? Right. Um, uh, 
did a story with uh, Steven Jackson mm-hmm. on the malice mm-hmm. and, and why he went into the stands. And what he, he, he told me that his brother got jumped mm-hmm. and he wasn't there. And his, his brother ended up in the hospital and ended up dying, got hit from, with a lead pipe from behind. Oh, wow. And he'd never forgiven himself for that. So when he saw Ron run into the stands, he's thinking, I'm not letting him go alone. Mm-hmm. So you may not agree with the fact that he went running into the stands, but now you understand why. And you may have a little bit of a different feeling about Steven Jackson as a result of that. And when I had like Tim Duncan telling me Steven was the best teammate he'd ever had, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, he's been painted as this villain. Right. You don't get to be Tim Duncan's best, you know, favorite teammate ever if you're a bad guy. That's just that can't that's that so I gotta I gotta find out, I gotta resolve this conflict. But and I got to tell that story. Or... Now, that's what I, that's what I, that's where I get my juice. Right. I, I, I will tell you, like, I get paid. I'm getting paid. I'm, I'm good. I've had, a, I've had a nice career. I'm okay. Like, I got you. but I'm not making Stephen A money. Right. You know, because that is not valued at the same level as I'm going to say something crazy. And if I can get somebody to respond to it, like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the entertainer, right? Uh, I, and that, and that's the downfall of media, to, in my opinion. It's I, like and you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, because it kills the integrity. It, it kills, kills the integrity it. of what we do. Like, Absolutely. oh, so this is just show. Yeah. Right. It is. It's informative. Yeah. yeah. And and look, I I'm, I've been on TV enough. Mm-hmm. There is you want to be entertaining, you want to be interesting, but I still. You know, what I try to keep in the back of my head is, would I say this if that person was in the room? No. Well, that's what I would I say it if I had to see them the next day. And you know what? And I may be like, I don't know how they're going to react when I see them. But I still try to keep in mind, like, I I, want to have justification for why I'm saying what I'm saying. So that if they come back at me and say, dude, why did you say that? I would say, because of this. Like, this is we, – we may disagree, but I think my my criticism was valid. And I still – like on TV, I still try to do the same thing. Like, explain why – explain why. Rather than judge, explain. But the, there's nothing wrong with criticism, though, and there's nothing wrong with being critical of somebody's game if they're not. That's what you know you're paid to do. The problem is, is when it becomes personal, and certain people make it personal where they're personally attacked. Like, listen, I played with Kwame Brown, right, for 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 you know two years with with the Washington Wizards. I was right there. I saw it. So when, when so when he finally blew up. At Stephen A. Smith and to get Bayes to went off on him. That was off of all these years of being quiet, pent up, where it yep. was made personal. So, yep. it, it, but it's just amazing to me how so many people in the media, if you're called out on it, they're either like, "How dare you?" You know yeah. what I mean, or they don't say, "Okay, I was wrong." Yeah. Like, why, why is that hard to say? Like, I've seen and I, you know, different. I have different relationships with different media people, but sometimes the media gets it wrong, and I've seen players. Say, okay, what you just reported was 100% incorrect. 
And then the media person says, well, wait, you can say it in a nicer tone to me. I'm like, nicer tone? You're saying something that's incorrect with him. Just say, I'm sorry, I got bad information and leave it at that. But now you're trying to defend yourself of being wrong in the first place and not like just, you know, correcting it. Just say you're sorry. Why is that so hard for so many media people to do? Yeah, I um, just I was wrong. I don't know. I I, honestly, I don't know because um, because I've I mean I've done it. Like if, if it, sometimes we don't get it right. I, right. Dude, I did it with I did it with Kobe. Honestly, wow. like really? I I put something out there that I had heard, and he goes, "That's not that's not accurate." And I said, "Okay, I'll." I, I'll fix it. Right. Like, and, and even that's, you know, cause everybody hears the initial story. That's the problem. Even yeah. the apology, yeah. nobody sees it, you know? Right. So, or, or you've already, the first impression is, is the one, but I have to ask you, I'm, okay. I'm glad you brought up Kwame Brown okay. because for example, for me, you know, everybody was always killing Kwame number one pick. Didn't that, mm-hmm. I'm like, the wizards made him the number one pick. Okay. Yes. They're, yes. they're at least partly culpable for, for, for developing him. That's not all on him, right? Mm-hmm. You right. decided he was worthy of the number one pick. You have a certain responsibility to him to make that work. You can't kill you. Like I've, that's always bothered me when people say, Oh, that guy's a bust or, you know, Anthony Bennett or whatever. Look, nobody held a gun to the Cleveland Cavaliers head to make them make him the number one pick. Right. 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 So it's not, yeah, it, it's on the player to make the most out of what they can be without question. But to say that they didn't live up to being the number one pick, they didn't choose to, uh, they're happy they were, but they don't choose to be that. But this is what, this is why I'm glad you brought up Kwame and, and uh, Kwame Brown is, uh-huh. so I look at all the smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson and, right. Kwame's feeling like you guys are doing me dirty. Right. Like you're acting like me. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's what it was. That's it. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and I, and honestly, I feel like there are more and more players who are getting into the media and they become the media. Who are operating that way. It's and like we're even on their own feeds. Like listen. they're not even getting paid by ESPN to, to clown other players. Like they're just doing it on their own. And I'm yeah. like, okay, so, and I would I would venture to guess I don't really talk to a lot of other media people. I, mm. I I'm just, uh, and it's a fault of mine. Like I see beat writers and media people. They go out to dinner together and they do all that stuff. Like. I'm too competitive. Like mm. if we got to dinner and we talk, like I can't talk about what I know or like, no, I don't want to. Right. It's, I, and I just, you know, it's yeah. a character defect of mine, but. No, I hear you. I but, hear but, you. but, but, but now I think some media people mm. look at it and go, well, the players are killing each other. Like, why I, shouldn't I kill it? Like, like it, 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 it opens the door for everybody vile you know not respecting relationships or telling the you know giving people a fair shake or whatever it is well I was, um, I was i'll say this i was i was glad that kwame got everybody's attention you know i'm i'm friends with 
Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. I have respect for both of them. And, you know, Kwame's my Same. guy. He's been my guy since we played together. Um, but that aside, if we're looking at the topic, I'm glad that he put everybody on notice that this isn't okay to do what was done to him. And he was a 18, 19-year-old kid and yeah. was just thrust into a situation where, to be honest, they wanted to protect MJ. That, that was honestly. So everything was Kwame's fault. Everything that was good that happened was all MJ. Everything that was bad that happened was yep. all Kwame's fault. I, and I was there, so I saw it. So yep. it's not like I'm, you know, third person. I was literally sitting right there seeing the whole hey, thing develop. That happens uh, in a lot of places. Yeah, no, it does. It in, does. In, 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 to varying degrees. It definitely right? does. But, but, but I like the part that he, that he talked about. The, and this is the part that you do, going back to you again, is you humanize players. And where you said... Would I say this if if he was standing right here, or would I, would you know, if I have to see him the next day, would I describe him in these terms? Or you know, like when you said Stephen A. Smith, you know, don't come at my neck and all that stuff. You're like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, like would you you treat somebody as a human being, and then when you criticize them or criticize their game, or it's not personal. You're not belittling right. them. You're not right. demeaning them. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's completely different things. But now. Because of what gets clicks, because of what gets attention, is almost the the you know the opposite of demeaning and everything like that and the performative and all that and that's what unfortunately the media has become and that's why going back to the panel that I was on where the young media people were saying well how do we get a relationship with with players when we see this happening right but we see this being rewarded and yep. talking about yep. Stephen A. Smith and yep. he's he's rewarded for doing what he does. I was like, well, sometimes it's hard to have it both ways. Yeah, that's the that's the honest. It, well, and, yeah. and would you agree with that? Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things here. I mean, number one is that there used to be really defined lines. Mm -hmm. Like if you were a beat writer or you were a reporter, like that was your lane, right? And if you were on TV or you were an opinion opinionist, pundit, whatever, mm -hmm. like that was that was your lane. If you were a columnist, you yeah. know, you gave your opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. And this happened with me at ESPN. You know, they blurred the lines. Mm -hmm. Now you're a reporter, but you're also being asked to give your opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then it becomes kind of difficult. It's like, OK, well, are you reporting? Is, is this are you reporting something or are you just right. saying like what you think or how you feel about this situation? And so, again, it's like we've we've lost the guardrails that make things clear. And so what happens is the public doesn't know what how to take this or right. what lane, you know, what they're seeing. And to your point, like it works. I, I know there are people on TV who purposely do not go to games or if they go to games, they never go in the locker room because they don't want to forge relationships. They don't want to have anything that might soften their ability to go like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to be strong one way or the other. I either love this guy or I hate this guy. And if you find out that, well, he's not everything you thought he was, well, then your love might be a little dissipated. And 
And, and if you get to find out that he's a better dude or like mm -hmm. there are extenuating circumstances, then you might hate, not hate the dude the way. So for performative reasons, like, I don't want to know any of that. I want it to be black and white because you know why? Because black and white sells on TV people. Uh, and you see it more in our society today than ever. People right. want to consume something that confirms what they already believe. Right. So right. if you're coming strong, if you're a pro LeBron guy, well, mm -hmm. I want to, I'm going to, I know you're a pro LeBron, LeBron mm -hmm. guy, and I want to hear everything you have to say. And if you're an anti LeBron guy, gotcha. then I'm going to tune into you because you're going to confirm everything that I believe. Right. And, and so that's where we are. And it's not just with sports. I mean, it's, in every right. in every walk of 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 life and coverage so it's you know and, and i wish i had an answer i i can just say you know for for my sphere mm -hmm. um you know it's like i can't solve the world's problems i'm going to raise my kids a certain way okay. i'm going to i'm going to treat the people around me a certain way and I'm going to do this job a certain way and right. not look at what it might bring me in as far as monetarily or right. um, attention or, you know, visibility. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I can sleep at night and I can feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm upholding my, you know, my, my principles and I got to tell you, like, there's times where I'm like, he's making what? Not all right. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. What? Like, but you have integrity. And you look at guys as human <laughs> beings and you value them as human beings. So that's what that's what that's what it's caused going back to the beginning of Brian Grant and why he entrusted you with something so precious yeah. of a story yeah. is because of that integrity that yeah. you have. So it, it is. So it, it's hard. I'm sure it's hard when you see other guys making you're like. Wait, he makes how much? <laughs> That's more than most guys in the league. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and but you are, but you are right. Like the the gratification that I get mm -hmm. from being allowed to tell a story like Bryant's and what it what that story then allows him to do and what it does for other people. Like you can't put a price on that, right? You know. Definitely. And again, as I see it, like. That is, that's an example that I'm setting for my kids. Right. Um, and you know, that's the other part too, is like, you know, as, as you, when I was single and I'm covering the league and mm -hmm. like, I could, I can invest all my time in the relationships and covering the team and like consumed by that. Mm -hmm. And then like, I, you know, I have, I get married, I have kids and like my, my responsibilities shift and I still want right. to do this to the best of my ability, but I am now, uh, you know, beholden to, to other, other people and, and, and other things that are dear to me. Right. And so that, that kind of changes things too. But again, it also informs me like when I think of guys that are parents and, you know, fathers mm -hmm. and they're in the league and, and I look at that and I look at the challenges of, you know, I mean, it's quite honestly, you know, I've, 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 I've been critical of, of LeBron, 
with mm-hmm. with with Bron Bron because everybody's like, oh, he, look at these all the great things he's doing. And I'm like, God, that's such a tough place for Bron Bron to be. I mean, like I I. Yeah. <sighs> You know what I mean? And I, and, and there's no right or wrong. LeBron's doing it the best to the best of his ability. Yeah. We, we like, I understand like he's, I'm, I want to do this for my kid. Right. And the toughest thing is to go, you know what? You're on your own. Like, or, or I got to let you do your own thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause you, as a, as a father, you know, you want to like, you want to put everything on a, on a plate, but then I'm looking mm-hmm. at it and go, you know, the reason that I, my dad didn't wasn't able to put a whole lot on the plate, right? right. And that's right. what allowed me to become mm-hmm. me, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I say that having sent both of my kids to private school, I went to public school. Like, <laughs> I'm guilty of it too, probably. On <laughs> some level. You know, we're we're all trying to hedge <laughs> our bet and do it the best we can. So, right. I try to keep that. I try to keep that in mind when, like. I try to reference my personal experience mm-hmm. as a dad or as an athlete or whatever it is and, and put it in that context. Um, and probably still don't get it right all the time, but no, you, I think at least trying to, right. No, you, is, you is what we're trying to do. And when you, and when you, in, in your coverage, you don't, it doesn't come across as I'm up here and I'm speaking about you down here. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you relate to them. And you, yeah. like you said, you tie in personal things about yourself. And it's that's the reason why you have the reputation with the players that you have. I, I just wish that more of the media would see that and understand the value of it over what is being rewarded. So here's the, the key. You know. But here's the key, Atan, is that the outlets that they work for yes. have to value that. Yes. No, no. Definitely agree. So definitely you agree. have to give – like you have to give your reporter or your writer or your mm-hmm. person the leeway to build those relationships mm-hmm. and to take the time to get it right and not like, and not kill them for not being first. Yeah, I agree. Like I give agree them the avenue to build, to do it different I agree, and it doesn't happen. And, and, and so like I just I feel like a lot of writers and reporters out there are victims of and, and much like players with teams. Mm-hmm. Like teams now more than ever. I, I I've often say like the, the the most valuable resource a writer or media person can have is access. Right. And teams now keep players more at arm's length than ever before. So those relationships don't have an opportunity to happen. That's true. And, 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 and the player is looked as, as being standoffish or diffident or disinterested. And I just like, once I get, once I'm able to sit down with a player Mm -hmm. and they get to know me a little bit and I get to know them, everything changes. Mm -hmm. And the teams don't like the teams want so much control over the players and how they're viewed. And they don't want those separate relationships because now that makes it more difficult for them to control the narrative. Right. Right. So and that's ultimately- again, it goes back to why I feel like the media and players like, look, there's a value in us understanding each other. There's it because we're both dealing with entities behind us, bigger mm-hmm. entities mm-hmm. that are 
sometimes feel like they're working against us mm -hmm. and working against us forging a relationship because that threatens them. Yes, definitely agree. Definitely agree. So you've been great. Um, really gracious with your time. I want to ask you one more question, one topic, and then I can stop it from there. Um, I, I, I want to keep it in, in Portland since we're talking about Brian Grant. And I want to talk about Damian Lillard. And he's been a topic of conversation for many years now. But then again, of course, this year as well, as it is every year. Um, but a lot of people are asking the question, should he leave or should he go? And um, or should he stay? And so, you know, people who say that he should go usually say the same few arguments. You know, they may say they question if he has enough help or if, if Portman is doing enough to get him the help that he needs. Or, you know, if if he is, you know, the as good of enough of a superstar to be able to get them over the hump, you know, does, does he have what it takes? What what do you think? I just want to get your opinion on the topic of should he go, should he stay? Does he does he owe it to himself to look at see if he could get it done with like a different way? Like what 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 does Rick Buecher think? So I think Damian Lillard should do whatever he wants to do. Okay. Um, like, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a wrong, I mean, that's his choice. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think he's done everything in such a uh, honest and open way with the Portland trailblazers. He's been, he's been a model leader of the team. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think he owes them anything that said and this is where you know this is where it becomes difficult because damien's my son's favorite player okay um i went up and had my son and got him a pass so he could walk around with me and we're standing on the court talking to somebody from the blazers and damien comes up and says hello and because he he and i have known each other for for a bit um, introduces him to his son. I know that what that meant to my, my son was like blown away. I just got to meet my favorite player. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I just love, I, I just appreciate the way Damien has carried himself. I'm, I'm, you know, I play piano. I have a musical background. So the fact that he, he, he is so accomplished in two dis different disciplines, I respect mm -hmm. the hell out of that. Um, I just, I so admire everything about him okay that said one of the reasons that the blazers have not competed for a championship okay. is damian lillard meaning what well he's not kevin durant he's not lebron james he's not Kawhi leonard like damian has made the most out of what he is physically but he's not a dominant two-way player the way those – I often compare him to Steph Curry. Like, okay. Steph, I, I'm, I don't know that Steph is winning championships if he doesn't have Clay in the backcourt next to him or Draymond or, um, you know, the, 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 the team around him. I think Steph is a tremendous leader. But I think he like he needed a defense, a big defensive two guard next to him, and a and a playmaker and a you know a a a big 
a, a small who can play big like Draymond. Like I think all of that and the chemistry between those three of them, their 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 personalities and their uh, and their strengths and weaknesses as players, like just fits perfectly. That's what okay. made them a championship nucleus team. Okay. Damian needs that same thing, right? But he needs that same thing, and he needs a little bit more of it. Like, he needs to have the right team built around him um, because he has certain weaknesses as the superstar of a team that KD and LeBron and Kawhi and guys who have been the catalyst of championship teams – don't have they can physically dominate their position at both ends of the floor. Damian Lillard cannot do that. Mm. So does he need the right team like and is that reason to leave? Well, so here's so he leaves. Is he guaranteed to have that team built around? I, I can tell you this in Portland, they're trying to build that team around him. Neil Olshay is constantly making moves, trying to find that playmaking small forward. To me, that's the ultimate thing piece that they need mm-hmm. um, to find, you know, mobile athletic bigs that can protect CJ and Damian on the backside. Like they're trying, they're trying to put it together in Portland that, as you know, is like not really a, a free agent destination. <clears throat> so you're going to have to trade or draft it. Damian knows that they are trying to build that, that thing around him. If he goes any place else, he's not guaranteed that. Like he's probably going to join another star, but like Philadelphia, for example, right? Well, are they going to be building that around Damien? Are they going to be building that around Joel Embiid? All right, let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So everything that you said, I understand it. But let me let me go back because like as you said at one of your your son's favorite players is Damian Lillard. Yeah. So one of my son's favorite players is Giannis. Um, he loves KD, um, but they're all – he's that body type, long, skinny, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? That, yeah. So he loves those two players. Sure. So I literally heard, and he literally heard, everything that you just said said about Giannis before they won. Literally everything almost verbatim. But it's – but it's but it's different. It's What's different the difference? Because because they were honest. one player away. Now I will say that I thought that the addition of um ah the point guard with all the defense. Oh, Drew Holiday. Drew the addition yeah. of Drew Holiday was huge for yes. them. Agreed. I don't think they win the championship without Drew Holiday. Agreed. Agreed. So in both cases, you have a guy who 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 has stayed to this point, mm-hmm. right? And the team has tried to figure out how do we put the pieces around them. Okay. The great distinction I see, and again, this is what like the, why I have immense respect for for Damian. I feel as if Damian is maximizing who and what he can be as a player. I looked at Giannis and I felt like, you know, everybody says they got to have more pieces around him, and Drew was a big piece, mm-hmm. but the greatest development was Giannis. Giannis took a leap this year. And I saw it. It was why previous two years, he was not my MVP. He was not at the top of my ballot. Uh, This year, for the first time, I voted him 
as the MVP because I saw a guy who didn't just have the physical talent, but he was doing the things that an MVP needed to do. He was making plays for other people. He was making far better decisions. Offensively, he wasn't afraid to take the shots that needed to be taken in the mid-range. I don't care whether you make it or miss it. You know this. Like, There's a certain rhythm to the game. When you're open and you have that shot, you have to take it because everybody's reacting. I'm going to hit the boards because I think the ball, the ball is going up because he's got a shot. Like, that's instinctive. If you don't take that shot and now you pass it, suddenly everything – everything stopped and now somebody's got to force a shot up and now i'm like wait okay is he going to get that shot off like it screws up the whole rhythm of the game okay Giannis, what Giannis started to understand that like he had to get over i don't know if i can make the shot or not to i gotta shoot the shot and i gotta learn how to make that shot at a higher percentage right but again you look at what you say, Giannis is what, 6'10, 6'11, long, can dominate his position physically at both ends. So for me, it was just a matter of Giannis learning how to play the game physically, how to how to basically utilize the physical gifts that he has. Okay. I feel like Damien is like whether it's the logo, you know, expanding his shooting range or just his his ability to change speeds like he's getting the most out of what a dude 62 you know 190 pounds can can get right i mean there's just at some point when they put a 66 guy on you who can move just like you that makes the game really challenging like now how much can i do how much can i I mean, the great ones can still find a way to score, but can I can I score and get people involved, right? And can I defend at the other end to that level? That that's where, like, I I feel as if Damien would be best served by staying because he knows that Portland is going until he just can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to reward him by building that team around him. Okay. He might find that championship someplace else, but all he has to do is like, honestly, I mean, look at like Giannis doesn't have to do anything ever again. And he will be beloved in Milwaukee for the rest of his life. That's true. Yeah. I would say that Chris Paul in Phoenix mm-hmm. Get just getting them to the finals. Okay, will be beloved there in a way that he wouldn't any place else. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a matter of like, what is it that you want? Do you just want the ring? Do you want to be able to put that on your resume? Or and this is what comes. You know, I'll bring it full circle to Brian Grant. Like Brian Grant never won a title. But he will be forever beloved in Portland because of the battles with Carl Malone. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he didn't leave. Like, they, you know, they he went to Miami because Portland decided we're gonna put our chips on Rashid and we're gonna we're gonna go in another direction. Right. Like he 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 had that connection in Sacramento, Portland and Miami, even though he played for three different teams. Amazingly enough, 
he connected with every one of those fan bases. That's right. Um, because they knew his heart was in it with them. And that's what Damien has in Portland. Okay. And again, it's like doing the job a certain way. Like there's, you can't put a price on that. Right. That's fair. Yeah. I definitely understand that. And I, you know, he's somebody that, that everybody is rooting for. So everybody's trying to see the best way for him to get rewarded. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not like they're criticizing him. Like he's, they're like saying, we we want him to get to a good place or something like that because people have literally been rooting for him since high school because he always took the, the, he didn't take the easy route. He didn't team up with the, the power team in high school. He didn't go right. to the, the big school for college. He didn't, he always took the, the more difficult route. So people respect that, but they wanted to be rewarded for it. So that's the other part too, is I feel as if for him to leave and to, and to leave in order to get a ring, like that would contradict everything that Damian Lillard is about. Okay. That's a good point. And for a guy who's never been to the finals and I think has only been to the Western conference finals once mm-hmm. the deal that he has with Adidas Hulu, like his brand yeah. is amazing. And he's earned that right. because of how he's perceived and how he's carried himself and that loyalty that he has demonstrated. Mm-hmm. I think if he leaves just to go chase a ring like all that goes out the window. That's a good point. It's a little bit like, you know, it's like I see the difference between John Stockton and Carl Malone. Mm. Like John Stockton will be forever beloved mm-hmm. in, in, in Utah. And I think Carl would have too, except he, he dipped to see if he could get that ring in LA. And that's where, you know, that's the last we saw of him. And so there's just, Here's John, and here's here's Carl. Still <laughs> beloved for all that he did, but you know what? Yeah. You kind of you ducked out on us at the end. <laughs> I got you. I got you. That's a great point. Hey, well, listen, much respect to you. Um, the book is called Rebound, um, co-wrote it with, with Brian Grant. It's a fantastic book, so definitely encourage everybody to go get it. And, um, yeah, I hope I see you um, going back to regularly writing again because Thank the you. way that you cover stuff, like I said – I, I wish that other uh, media members would would see how you how how you can be critical of someone, how you can you know do your job, how you can criticize when you need to of a team, of a franchise, of a player, of everything like that, but still have the integrity to do it tastefully, to be able to get both sides, to be able to get everybody included, and to where it doesn't feel like you're attacking one person. So it, it's it's definitely a, a an art to it. So. Much respect to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and thanks again for coming on the rematch. Well, I want to say I have immense respect for you too, Atan, because you have moved into the media and you haven't just moved into the media to be on TV or to like the fact that you write, the fact that you are trying to like you see a, a way in which you want to share stories and give people a platform in order to tell their stories. I, I think that's really a, a, not only admirable, but impressive. I talk about, you know, having two, um, you know, two disciplines, being being really good at two disciplines. And the, anybody who becomes a great athlete, 
uh, or a professional athlete, I don't think people understand how much you have to invest right. in that. That has to be the focus. And so mm-hmm. to have a second career or to have a, a, a second profession in which you are, uh, you are outstanding in, uh, that takes a tremendous amount of talent and discipline. So uh, I've been watching you from afar and have been with, with great admiration. So I wanted you to know that too. I definitely appreciate that those words. I definitely appreciate that. So, all right. Well, thanks again. Thanks again for coming on. Like I said, keep doing what you're doing and uh, stay safe out there. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.